you know, the beginning of a school year is a pretty significant moment uh, in the life of an individual if you're in school, but then in the life of our community. Um, what, what if we decided that since this year was just so special because of all the pandemic and everything else going on, what if we would have decided that we're going to change the calendar? And so instead of school starting in September, because it's such a special thing, we're going to change the month and turn this month into January. And so now school starts in January. It sounds kind of strange, right? But that's exactly what God did with the Exodus. This was such a transformative moment in the life of the people of Israel. They were on their way to becoming a new nation. They were leaving slavery and going to be independent under God and, and so independent on God. And so God says, okay, when the exodus happens, when I lead you out of uh, uh, Egypt, um, uh, we're, we're going to change the calendar. And, and this is no longer September. Now it's going to be January at this moment of the exodus. And, and then it also is kind of the birthday of their country. So it's like... January, New Year's, and the 4th of July all wrapped up into one. Well, that just indicates how important this moment was. And, and we're going to see in our, in our text for today that really this particular moment is going to continue to be important for the, the Jewish people and then even for us as, uh, as time goes on. So our text for today comes from uh, Exodus chapter 12. Uh, but before we read that, let me just kind of back up a little bit and kind of uh, fill in some gaps from where we were uh, last Sunday. Now, last week, we saw Moses standing in front of a burning bush and God calling him to, uh, to service and, and to ministry. Uh, uh, God had heard the groans of his people uh, that were crying out because of the slavery that they were enduring. And, and so God has decided to intervene and to save them, to deliver them. And he has called Moses to be his instrument. Moses, we heard last week, began with a series of protests. The first one we, that we looked at was, who, who am I? <laughs> I'm not the man for the job. Surely there's somebody better. Surely there's someone else. And where we ended up was that, yes, very often when God chooses us and God chooses to act, we are the answer that God is looking for to be able to use. Moses had a number of concerns. One of them was his ability to speak. So God chose Aaron to be his right-hand man and the spokesman. And so then they go to the Pharaoh with one basic message. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, yeah, not so much. That's not happening. Not on my watch. So God gets frustrated with Pharaoh and God says, okay, I'm just going to have to push you a little bit because I want my people free. And so then we have a series of uh, different kinds of warnings and, and different kinds of afflictions. Most of these are on the people of Egypt, but it's part of this movement that God is trying to convince Pharaoh to change his mind and to stop oppressing the people of, uh, uh, of Israel and to let them go and let them be free. So God sent these plagues, uh, uh, the, the, the blood uh, uh, filling the river, uh, hordes of frogs and insects and the Egyptian cattle dying, the people breaking out in boils, hail raining down from heaven, destroying property and people and animals, darkness, complete darkness for three days. 
And throughout all of these warnings, afflictions, plagues, Pharaoh says no. It's almost as if he's saying, I am God in my country. And these Hebrew people are my possession, my property, and I can do whatever I want with them. And I refuse to bow before the God of Israel. So after God had tried all of these different ways, nine plagues, he unleashes the most terrific, horrific and terrible of all of them, plague number 10. He announces in, in, in chapter 11, and we see uh, uh, the, the death of the firstborn of all the Egyptians. Now, this doesn't just limit to, it's not limited to, to ba- it's limited to the firstborn. For example, I am the firstborn of my family. And if that plague were to come now, then I would be one of those that would perish. Uh, 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 the text indicates that Pharaoh's son, his firstborn son, who was sitting on the throne at the time, was also one of those who passed away. And finally, it was too much. Pharaoh says, go, get out, and don't come back. And then we get to chapter 12. So chapter 12 is kind of taking a step back from the actual event, which took place in chapter 11, but describing some of the things that should take place. We're going to read chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And this is what the text says. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat an entire animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be one-year-old male, either sheep or goat, with no defects. Verse 6. Take special care on this of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and on top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it till the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten eaten before morning. Verse 11. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and every firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign for you, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14, this is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. It's a powerful text. It's a strong text. It fills us with a feeling of awe, 
but it also fills us with an awful feeling. One commentator has said that this text and this remembrance of the Passover serves to guard against any sentimentalizing of the Passover and of God's deliverance from Egypt. This was not a fuzzy kind of a warm and fuzzy kind of a moment. The yuck factor in this text is pretty strong. Choosing an animal, slaughtering the animal, spreading blood on the door, uh, uh, roasting the animal with all the innards. And more importantly than all of that is that this deliverance of the slaves uh, uh, was costly and painful for everyone that was involved. The, the, the story of the Passover is a story of deliverance, but it's one that's achieved through death. Death of the firstborn, of all of Egypt's sons and all of Egypt's animals. Babies, adults, animals, the firstborn, all perished. You know, I'm taken aback by the harshness of, of, of this action. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's hard to, to imagine and it's hard to feel. We, we really don't really want to engage. And I'm not going to explain it away. Uh, this is biblical history and biblical stories. But, but I, let me just give you a couple uh, 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 insights or some thoughts that, that might be helpful as you kind of navigate this in your own mind. Uh, first, God is the only giver of life. Uh, he's the one who gives life. And, and from a very early point in, in history, the firstborn was to be set apart as a, a special offering for him. Um, the, the Lord doesn't command the Hebrews to take up arms and to kill the Egyptians. God takes care of it himself. This is something that he does. And so he's not asking us, but rather he himself is taking back what he himself gave as the firstborn. Uh, a second idea is that um, the, this horror that's afflicted on the Egyptians it only occurs after an arrogant, almost godlike Pharaoh uh, uh, repeatedly resists God's uh, uh, desires and disobeys God. Uh, uh, nine different plagues should have been more than enough. One plague should have been more than enough. Uh, but God has almost gotten to the end of his patience with Pharaoh and has to do so something so drastic. And, and when he chooses what is going to get Pharaoh's attention, he chooses the very thing that Pharaoh was wanting to do to the Israelites. Pharaoh had already demanded that all the firstborn males be killed. And Moses was one who slipped through the cracks and was saved. And so now God is giving Pharaoh back. Uh, Pharaoh is reaping what he has sowed, as it were, and, and so uh, Israel is God's firstborn, and Pharaoh is trying to kill Israel, and God doesn't take to that lightly. As we think about what to do with that text for us today, let me suggest two ways that I think this text kind of speaks to us, and I think these are important things, and, and we might not have thought about it in these kinds of terms. At first, let, let me suggest that God is the deliverer of slaves and people in bondage. If there are slaves in today's world, and if there are people in bondage in today's world, God is on their side. It's within the nature of God himself to be on the side of those who are oppressed. 
It's the nature of the church to be concerned about people that are in bondage, not only limited to physical bondage, but even spiritual bondage and bondage to substances and bondage to, to other kinds of circumstances and situations. God is the father of the fatherless, and he is the defender of the widow. We read over and over throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. And so um, while whatever bondage we might be in today is not comparable to the slavery that the Hebrew people were in in Egypt, uh, we can still cry out to God for deliverance. Uh, deliver me, O Lord, is a common uh, 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 plea that shows up through through Scripture. And, and so uh, God is going to be on the side uh, of the slaves. God is going to be on the side of the oppressors. So immediately that sets up this dichotomy, this two aspect uh, 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 of humanity. Either I'm on the side of the slaves or I'm on the side of the oppressors. We know where God is, and so then the challenge for us today is, what side are we on? And then the second thing is that deliverance comes, but it comes at a high cost. It comes at a high cost. There's a lot of pain to be freed from slavery. You know, God delivers, but that doesn't erase the pain that doesn't erase the suffering. That doesn't erase the memory. In fact, it is even brought up over and over through history. This spring, when Jewish families gather to celebrate the Passover, in just about every household where this is celebrated, words like these will be said. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand. That has been said for over 3,000 years, every year. But did you get that? People in Miami today, well, next year, in 2021, they will say, we were slaves in Egypt. Because the memory of that slavery, even after 3,000 years, is still so strong. It's so fundamental to their identity and to they, who they are. And in a sense, what has happened to them as a people still continues to be remembered and experienced through life. The memory of slavery, the memory of bondage is painful. And deliverance from that doesn't erase that pain. And then the second thing is that there are consequences and often severe and horrific consequences for evil deeds. I, I, I said earlier that God is on the side of the slaves, and what that also means is God is against the oppressors, the slave owners, those who are forcing people into bondage. God stands against the proud and the arrogant. God stands against those people who think that I can buy someone or I can sell someone like property because they're mine. God says, you are not God, and you don't have that right, and I oppose and will oppose, and will bring down sanctions and consequences on people. And, 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 and it's not just, as I mentioned, physical slavery, but it can be anyone who abuses the more vulnerable members of our family and our society. 
God stands against those individuals. God stands against those individuals who kidnap and hold captive, who traffic young people. There was an arrest just recently of a man who was selling young girls during the Super Bowl when it was here in Miami. God is not going to let that slide because God stands up for the victims and he stands against the oppressors. And he also stands up against anyone who uses their power, their social standing, their, 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 their economic or, or, or social standing to, to take advantage of others. And so the consequences might not come immediately, but God is just and God will stand and oppose anyone who puts themselves in his place and puts themselves against those who are oppressed, those who are disadvantaged, those who are marginalized, and those that are on God's side. Our God is a God who delivers, but that delivery, that deliverance comes at a heavy cost. The memory will always be with us, and then the cost will be felt by those who are the oppressors. Now, I mentioned earlier that this text has a high yuck factor. Um, you know, most of us are pretty far removed from, uh, uh, from slaughtering animals for our food. I, I get a little bit squeamish with all the blood that are in these, you know, packs that, that, that soak it all up and everything. And it's just kind of, just kind of gnarly to have to deal with raw meat and those kinds of things. Um, but God wants to make sure that we don't see this Passover from a distance. He wants us literally to get our hands dirty. He doesn't want us to forget or to ever take lightly the cost of what it took to release his people and to lead them out of slavery into uh, uh, freedom. The, the night before Jesus was betrayed, he sat down with his disciples and ate a Passover meal. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And while we want to sanitize and make it clean and, and kind of keep Jesus and that ugliness and that grossness of the sacrifice far from us, God says, no, I want every single one of you who are a part of my people every Sunday to take a piece of that bread and remember, this is my body. This was Jesus's body broken for us. And to take a little cup of fruit of the vine and remember, this is my blood, which was poured out for you, my blood of the covenant of the pact. And so as we, in just a few minutes, take the Lord's Supper, we are entering in and reenacting once again that sacrifice. And it's not pretty, but God wants us to remember and to know our freedom from slavery to sin, slavery to death comes at a high price. We remember our background. We remember when we came out of slavery and bondage and when God delivered us. But we also remember how much it cost God to save us and to bring us into new life. So as we in just a few minutes, take the Lord's Supper. Remember and reflect on these things. The bread and the cup is what brings us back to that moment. And it also pushes us forward 
to that moment. We'll be in Jesus's presence to celebrate it once again in, in the coming age. May, may God bless you and uh, bless your family as you're gathered together and as you remember the sacrifice of God's Son and as we think about that moment when God rescued all of us from the slavery to sin and to death. God bless you. Let's sing, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper. <laughs>